Hello and welcome back everyone to the Cancel for Maintenance podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we talk about the non-glamorous life of aircraft maintenance. Our goal here is to give some insight to aircraft maintenance, uh, bring some laughs, share some stories, and impart some wisdom, all in which to give you that moment's relief in your day to prevent a mishap. Uh, I am your host, Six. I'm MVP. And our third host, Shoreline, is silently in the back, twisting knobs, adjusting levels, making sure our audio is good to go and our faces stay fit for radio. <laughs> Today, we are joined by two guests. Our first guest was a part or was a part 135 pilot, a commercial airline pilot, began flying at the age of 14, which was a long journey in of itself, owns two aircraft for him and his family, and is the founder and president of the STEM and Aviation Youth Indiana or STAY Indiana, which is a newly founded nonprofit organization whose intent is to give enthusiastic teens the opportunity to build their own airplane and learn how to fly it. Please welcome Mr. Matt Branson. Thanks. Mr. Matt, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. And our second guest uh, started his journey in aviation, both as a pilot and a mechanic apprentice back in 1968 when he was only 12. Uh, he has many highlights in his career, including being the first sophomore in his high school, his high school's history to be an auto mechanics program, overhauling an aircraft engine because he was too young to drive at the time, uh, <laughs> founding King Aero Aviation, restoring 31 aircraft and counting, uh, some of which now sits in the EAA museum in Oshkosh and is also a technical advisor and mentor for the state Indiana organization. And also he's the recipient of the Michigan and Northern Indiana's aviation maintenance technician of the year for 2022. Hey, uh, quite, please welcome a rap sheet you got there, right? Please <laughs> welcome, please welcome Mr. Marty King, Mr. King. Hey, thank, hey, you, thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you for joining. Uh, gentlemen, again, thank you so much for come, make, taking the time and uh, coming on to an episode with us. I have to say, both of your backgrounds there, we were reading it through before the episode began. It's just inspiring. Uh, Matt, with yours, like, for instance, like uh, having to travel so far just to uh, follow your dream to be a pilot. And then uh, you mentioned that you've had a not so fantastic instructor who pretty much told you all sorts of negativity <laughs> yeah he, he 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 gave me some bad advice which is kind of where this all kind of stemmed from was because um from my own personal experience so i, I grew up in a small rural town of uh, lone pine california um mm. a lot of people have uh, it's kind of on the eastern side of this year nevada's there I, um, I know where lone pine's at that's about uh yeah. three and a half to four hours north where i'm at you run, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's about three to four, three to four hours away from everything. <laughs> yeah. um, well, uh, I'm in the high desert, uh, uh, the Antelope Valley. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, if you just keep going up uh, 14 and join 395 oh, yeah. there, um, you'll yeah, run into it. There. But been through there many um, times. So yeah, where I grew up, there wasn't many pilots. Uh, there was there was two private pilots in the area at the time. Um, they tried their best to try to inspire me and, uh, help me out. But, uh, I ended up having to travel up to Bishop, California, which is about a little over an hour drive. That was the closest airport that had, um, a flight instructor. And he was the only professional pilot I knew up until I was about 18. So, um, his advice to me after I got my private pilot's license was, uh, that was it because I, I wear glasses. So he told me since I had uh, bad eyesight, I would never be able to get a, a class one medical or class two for that matter. 
So uh, he said, I'd never be able to be a professional pilot. So I was like, okay, I, I believe the guy because he's the only one I knew. Um, so I went off to college to become an engineer instead. <laughs> um, so and later on, I found out that I could get a class one medical and I was able to move forward with uh, flying airplanes instead. So that's what I really wanted to do, not uh, do the engineering part. But, uh, <laughs> well, it's, well, especially for, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, especially something like engineering, you know, that takes a, a special kind of mind to just be able to sit there and come up with things. And uh, for for the most part, you know, everything sounds cool until you see all the math and the drawings yeah. and all of the technical need to know that go with it. Like, wow, this is very overwhelming. Um, yeah. we, 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 we joke about engineers all the time, but when the rubber meets the road and you actually see them in their in their element and doing what they need to do, like, wow, I cannot follow it any of this <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh and i was able to go to purdue to do the engineering part and um i enjoyed it uh we had a lot of fun um just designing some of the planes and stuff um but in the end i, I just decided i didn't really want to do the designing part of it or the engineering part of it i really wanted just to fly the planes <laughs> so right. i was always enjoyed that part the best um right. so i went that i took that path instead but um i think a lot of people don't realize that uh they, they think from the pilot standpoint um you know that you have to go to certain schools and stuff for being a pilot. Um, and I went to school for engineering. I didn't go for school for piloting. Um, so I actually just did all the flight instructor uh, on the side at like an FBO. Um, and so I think a lot of people don't even realize that you can just go to your local FBO and get all your pilot certificates and then, you know, move forward with your pilot career too. So um, again, it's, it's got, there's a lot of different paths in aviation that you can take. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people think there's only one, you know, a couple. And so I think it's good to show all those different paths that people can take. Right, exactly. And I, I was yeah, about to. Most people think it's just sorry to cut you off, six, but most people think it's either uh, maintainer or pilot. And, and to be honest with you, I yeah. think if you the majority of the populace would say there's one, and it's pilot. You know, yeah. And then you kind of learn that. about the the maintainer as you're piloting. <laughs> and I, to be honest, I, I think some people um, like yourself. I, or like the, well, the mechanic that takes care of my plane. I don't think he ever wanted to fly an airplane. I think he just likes working on planes, um, like working with his hands. Um, and I think that's some people, that's their thing. And that's great. Uh, we need people to fix airplanes and work out with, our, you know, with planes. Um, and some just want to fly them. Um, we all have our thing, you know, some want to design them, some want to build them, some want to fly them. It's, so we're just trying to help find that thing um, is what we're trying to do. Uh, and so we're trying to cover all the bases with the aviation. So whatever you know, way you want to go in aviation, we want to help you find that, you know, and help you find a mentor or something to guide you uh, along that path. Right. Uh, I remember like, uh, I was going to say mentioned with like with the schooling, like, uh, up until I started actually talking to pilots, I, on, I thought there was only one way, actually two ways. I thought there was only two ways to be a pilot. <laughs> one was to go to a school that actually taught you how to be a pilot, which can be rather expensive. It's ridiculously expensive. So that's why I always like to show that there's other ways to get there because there's, there's cheaper options than paying a bunch of money for, uh, for those universities. I mean, they're good. It's just, they're expensive. Right. Yeah. And uh, nowadays, especially with uh, a lot of pilots becoming more and more proficient and stuff like becoming uh, private pilots or instrument rated pilots, that's like one of the number one complaints I have is like, I am so broke, <laughs> so broke yeah. right now. Yeah. And, uh, and, so, and I was wondering about that. Like, so it's like, how, how expensive is the license? And they say like, well, it's not the license. It's all the stuff that adds up to it. Like building the hours, uh, buying insurance, yeah. paying for the fuel, like 
oh, I totally didn't even factor any of that in. Wow. And, and again, all this kind of leads right into what we're trying to do here too, because uh, I mean, the, the flying is not cheap um, as much as I wish it was, uh, <laughs> or my wife wished it was cheaper when I'm flying my own plane. Um, it's, it's, uh, it is expensive and to get those build those hours, the easiest way to do that is knowing people in the aviation industry. And for like people like myself, when I was younger, I didn't know anybody. So how do you build that time? I mean, even from an A&T standpoint, if you're trying to build time up for your A&T, you need you new people that can you can go work in their shop or you can go hitch a ride with them to go get lunch or breakfast in an airplane. They could build time that way. That all adds up, you know, and that, that cuts down the cost of learning or getting into aviation for that matter uh, quite a bit. And so it allows aviation to be, you know, out there to more of the masses than just people that can afford it. Um, because it brings the cost down a little bit, I think. So but that's what we're trying to do here is to try to create mentorships and um, help people. That, that, know, that, 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 really, that really struck a nerve with me when you mentioned even with the AMP time, because that's a, a lot of people just say, oh, I'll just get my AMP certification and then work at some uh, uh, small time FBO or whatever. I'm like, that's if they'll take you, to be honest, right? Like, uh, yeah. even now with some of the people who listen to us, I'm like, hey, so how do I find an, an AMT job? I'm like, uh, what kind of experience you got friend like because if you got zero yeah. your your best bet is probably to i mean as, as sad as it is you know either find somebody who who's down to take you or uh just fork the money and go to a school that's really uh it's sad as yeah. it is that's one of the uh, the most direct routes because otherwise you're like like again like you're just trying to build time you're going to be spending a lot of money and sometimes like that, that money piece is a real gatekeeper for a lot of things. And it, that, it really is for a lot of people. I mean, if you, if you can't afford it, it, it kind of limits what you can and can't do. And um, so if we can get past that somehow. Um, and then this is a, a great example because with this project, um, with Marty on board too, is, uh, uh, IA, uh, we can have all the kids um, can log that time for their A&P. Um, if they want to keep coming back to, you know, keep adding a more and more time to get towards their MP, by all means, uh, we have no problem helping reach that as well. Um, it gives and, them an option, so do you, you guys know? write letters of like uh, FAA letters of recommendation once they hit their hours uh, for them? That's a that question. Take, it, take to the, uh, the testing center. So, so I ask that because I do that uh, for some of the maintainers in the areas where I work. Um, they've been, you know, they've been working for, a number of years and didn't have an A&P, but now they want to kind of progress themselves a little bit and open, broaden their horizons and kind of try to open more doors for themselves. And, and so we'll sit down and we'll put together all the work they've done, the hours and everything and write a letter rec that they can then take to the certified FAA testing center. And then instead of having to do, you know, an A&P score or whatever, they can, they can test for their airframe power plant in general. Uh, without That's a schooling. That's a question for Marty. I'm, I'm, I'm not completely familiar how the letters recommendation exactly work. Um, I'm sure Marty probably does. He's still on there. Yeah, what I what I recommend is um, that each student um, or person that's actually um, wanting to be an apprentice uh, keep a logbook. Uh, they actually make an AMT logbook. You can get them at Aircraft Spruce to log your time. And then uh, normally I'll sign off each page uh, in the logbook, just like uh, um, uh, an instructor would. And then um, we count up the hours. And if they've reached their, uh, their number of, uh, um, of hours and, and days, basically, work days, uh, 
um, they uh, they get a letter of recommendation and they take it to the local FISDO and the FISDO um, writes them out a, a little chit that uh, uh, says that you can take the take the test. Um, it's not that big of a deal. I I actually with with mine the first uh, the first time through I didn't do anything with it. Um, uh, even though I was doing aircraft uh, recovering, um, which started right right off the bat in when I, in 1969, um, did my first project with uh, my uh, mentor. Um, it was a PA-12. Um, I got to cover a wing pretty much by myself. We rib stitched together, but I did all the taping and and uh, all the spraying. Um, and then uh, tail surfaces did that. And he did the fuselage and the other wing, and that um, um, that got me uh, really in. <laughs> how should I put this? I was I was a working working student. In other words, he he said, "I what I'm going to give you, I'm not going to charge you for, but you're going to work for it. Uh, I need 20 hours." for every hour of flying time that I'm going to give you. And by the time I turned 16 to solo, I had over a hundred hours of dual. Um, and J threes, the PA 12, 172, um, Cessna three, three, seven, um, had some IFR time, some solid IFR time in there. Uh, it was, um, it was quite, you know, quite a lot of time for a kid that is uh, 16 and, and soloing um, that I um, uh, that I work for. Um, and I, I tell guys, I have an apprenticeship program in my shop um, where the guy comes in and, and works for me for basically three years and uh, gets built up his time and keeps a logbook. So he, he, he hits those different areas that uh, are required. And then, um, like I said, letter of authorization, send it in with him to FISDO. I also have an intern program working with the uh, colleges locally that have AMP programs. Uh, uh, we have a local university, Andrews University in Berrien Springs, Michigan, that has a program. Uh, university of Western Michigan uh, has an excellent uh, AMP program as does the University of, uh, it's Community College of Lansing. They're a feeder for Delta. Um, they, um, they have put out some extremely good students. Their interns, probably some of the best interns I've had, um, they um, uh, are kind of bound because they do trimesters. So they only have four weeks in between each each semester. I had a gentleman from Purdue who uh, came to me for a summer. And uh, uh, at the end of the, the time, we sat down and talked. And he said, you know, Mr. King, he said, the uh, uh, in the first two years of my time at, uh, at Purdue, even taking the AMP courses, he says, I, I've learned more in your shop in, in the last two and a half months than I did in the first two years at college. <laughs> so, you know, it's getting that hands-on. Um, and if, if you can start early, that's, that's the big thing is uh, uh, my brother-in-law took me flying when I was nine. 
Um, he was flying out of Tacoma Narrows Airport. I was out there visiting my sister and he took me out over the Puget Sound in a 150 and I was big enough that I could reach the rudder pedals and push and pull on the controls. And he said, okay, the plane's yours. And I flew for about a half an hour. And after that, uh, every week, every Saturday, I was at the airport um, pretty much all day. I was an airport rat. And uh, washed airplanes for rides, uh, you name it. And then uh, Milt Hatfield, who was a local legend in this area, uh, had a private strip and had just freshly rebuilt a J3, a 46. It used to belong to Bendix Corporation. They used for carburetor testing. And uh, uh, he had just uh, pulled up to the pump, came over and just introduced himself and said, you must really like aviation. Uh, I see you out here all the time. And I said, well, I, I spend a lot of time out here. And I pointed over to a musketeer that was sitting on the ramp. And I said, I'm, I've already bought, uh, I, I've got five hours in that, that musketeer out there. And uh, so I'm learning how to fly. And he goes, oh, you're not learning how to fly. He said, you're learning how to drive. He said, if you want to learn how to fly and be an aviator, not only know how to fly them, but how to fix them, you ought to let me teach you in this. And for the next um, six years, uh, from 12 to 18, I was out there every summer vacation, every day, um, every Saturday, every Sunday, um, any time that I had any time at all. And then we we do special things during the week, go to the local EA chapter meetings. Uh, we had a number of um, people, uh, if you've ever heard of uh, Wayne Eisen, who designed the Minimax um, air uh, ultralights and uh, light sports. Um, he, uh, he actually was from Elkhart and we used to go over to uh, EA chapter meetings at his house and uh, it's that young age, it just impressed on me um, that uh, it didn't matter how old you were. It was, first of all, your size. And second of all, who you could get to mentor you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the key is finding that um, that individual or that group um, that is willing to, to mentor young adults um, into a program that the schools don't offer. Um, They took out industrial arts and all the middle schools um, by year 2000. And so you have to wait until high school to get in any type of uh, uh, program. Um, And then you normally are to a different location, like a career center, um, to to do that four hours a day, which makes you kind of like a secondary citizen in high school uh, because you're not there all the time. And to me, that um, um, that's not real conducive to learning, first of all, how to build, and second of all, how to fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe uh, we've, uh, in in our conversation, we kind of answered this question already, but uh, when we, it came time to create the stay Indiana or the STEM in aviation youth, um, how did that conversation start with, with you guys? Like, uh, uh, well, it started back in, um, so what happened was it was actually started in Oshkosh last year. Um, there's another mentor, his uh, name's Glenn. 
um, he sent me down in Oshkosh and, uh, there was a teen build, um, as much as I wish this was a unique idea from us, there's actually a couple of them out there. Um, there's one in Florida called the teen factory and then the Granberry high school in Texas is actually building a ranch, uh, like we would like to. Um, so th there's a couple of them out there. There's even one in Wisconsin. Well, I think the one in Wisconsin is the one that was in Oshkosh last year. But um, we sat down and like, there's nothing like this at all in our community. Um, we got kind of a couple little aviation groups there. Uh, we thought maybe this would be a great way to unite all those kind of aviation groups and try to um, get our youth into it. A lot of our, like a lot of places now, the, if you look at all the aviation groups, that's older um, people and a lot of retirees and stuff. It's not much of the younger generation. So we were wanting to try to get more of the younger generation in our area going. So um, we thought they can do it. Why, why can't we try it? So Glenn and I kind of came up with an idea to try to work on this. And then uh, we have enough contacts in there. We just started going out to like people like Marty um, to um, ask uh, if they'd like to be mentor, be part of this uh, idea that we're trying to move forward, forward with. Um, and then, so last December, we were fully incorporated in the state of Indiana. And then we just got our, uh, what's called a 501c3, um, just about a month ago. Um, so we're a full nonprofit in the eyes of the IRS now. Um, so we're, we're a freshly minted, freshly new, uh, nonprofit. Um, just from the little bit of, uh, stuff we were able to put out in the community, um, there was a lot of interest, um, and, and want to do this, um, from the kids standpoint, there's a lot of kids and parents that were wanting to get the kids involved with it. So I think that's, again, it's one of those things like every aviation, if you're not in aviation, it's kind of this exotic thing, you know, off of the distance is like, yeah, it'd be cool to, you know, work on planes or, you know, fly them or whatnot. Um, but like, they don't know how to get into it. They just, they don't know anybody in it. So like, how do I even get in there? But then if you throw something like this out, there's like, Hey, welcome forward, you know, come over here. We'll, we'll you know, you can meet all the local mechanics and pilots and so forth um and create this community um then when they actually do start working towards it they, we have people that can help them move to whatever you know they want to do they want to do corporate you know uh, or they want to uh, work on planes in the airlines or they want to work planes at local fbo or whatever it might be the case um we got people that can help them you know find those find those dreams out for them you know you kind of you really spoke to me when you said the like uh they think of aviation as this exotic thing. Uh, MVP and I, as we re recollected in all sorts of previous episodes, like uh, aviation didn't begin as a first choice thing. It was something like all that. It, it kind of came up as either as a commercial or as a like a, hey, did you know you could do this? I'm like, no, wait, what is that? <laughs> right. And uh, <laughs> and then once you finally like immerse yourself in like, wow, this is actually really fun. Like, I like this. And, and then everyone calls it the bug, right? Everyone gets uh, get yeah. bit by the yeah. bug and whatever yeah. that bug manifests itself, whether it be a pilot, a mechanic, an engineer and so forth. Once you're there, like, okay, like I can't stop. I got to stick with it. I, I, I love this too, too much. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's real addictive, but yeah, it's like, like myself, I, I, I didn't even know that was an option. Like when you are outside the bubble there, you don't even know it's even an option. Once you provide that as an option, you're like, wow, this is an option. And then, like you said, you, you start doing uh, work in aviation. You're like, wow, this is, it gets real addictive. Like you said, and, you know, that's all you want to do. You work on planes, fly planes and just do everything airplanes, you know? Um, right. And so that's what we're trying to do is to provide that as an option for the local kids, just even allow them to know it's an option, you know? And, and then what makes me uh, very happy to hear is that there's people who are extremely interested in wanting to do it. Um, uh, like you mentioned, like, uh, it's kind of sad to hear, but it's also fun to know that uh, 
Yes, a lot. Majority of the people who are currently in aviation are very uh, senior individuals, mostly retirees or people who are kind of like uh, they've lived the f- uh, I won't say lived the full life, but they they lived enough to make a career out of something. And they woke up one day and just said, you know what? I, I want to change things up. Let's learn how to fly. And uh, which is a good a good chunk of people like usually in their late 20s, mid 30s who kind of discovered aviation late in their life and realized they loved it. But um, it's it's really awesome to hear that there's uh, people below the age of 25 who, uh, yeah, who, uh, find interesting. Yeah, who find it extremely interesting. I mean, cause for the most part, uh, I, I think we've all grew up in the, in the, in the top gun era where the only thing yeah. we saw aviation related was like fighter jets or uh, things screaming down in the air show. Like, okay, that looks fun. Or like, or, uh, yeah. stunt biplanes where people stand on the wing and fly upside down and whatnot. Yeah. And, for the most part that was it that was like oh it's like this mystical thing uh, like that only really really cool people get to do so hearing something like hey there's a there's a after school program that you could totally do all this stuff what? wait really that, that's a thing <laughs> yeah absolutely and then um i think a lot of people don't realize um i don't know if we're playing touch with this or not but um and there's a huge shortage of both uh, mechanics and pilots yes. right now and it's going to it's going to continue on you know so it's like not only is it fun and addictive and amazing uh career uh in my, my opinion but it's uh it's going to be growing and there's going to be lots of jobs out there for them if we just if you are you know certified for all this stuff it's just there's so few of us out there um to fill the gap um i saw something um oh it's, it's they're supposed to be between with the aircraft mechanics, uh, somewhere between 2027 20, or 2028. There's going to be, uh, the gap is going to be like over 40,000, uh, aircraft technicians, uh, meaning that the amount of growth that the airlines want to do and the amount of aircraft, uh, technicians being created, there, it's, we're in the deficit by like 40,000 something <laughs> technicians. So we're not going to be able to grow as much as we want, you know, and the, the, um, hinge point there is, the technicians and the pilots just there's not enough of us to allow the airlines to grow as much as they would like right um, so something's gonna something's gotta change we gotta get more of them somehow um you know or uh the airlines are gonna have to dial stuff back and which is the jump public won't like that but, right uh, so but there's a lot of opportunities out there um it just they i don't think a lot of people realize the amount of opportunities that are out there um until they get into it you know right and then to uh marty's uh, example is uh sometimes like uh you learn more by having that on-hand mentor to uh, help help kind of coach you through some things. Like uh, myself, like I'm not I'm not very much a reading learner. Like so I got to see things visually and how it works and whatnot. And visually, like through a video, is cool. Or seeing it like someone pointed on a chart is cool. But uh, just having that hands-on and watching it work and put and uh, putting your actual uh, tools to the uh, to the metal. It makes you learn so much faster. And uh, again, to Marty's example, like one student, like he learned more in six months than he did in two years uh, in in the classroom. And that I think is probably is one of the most crucial things because MVP and I have said like uh, troubleshooting is becoming a lost art because there's so much that you just can't simulate um, on paper, right? It truly is. I mean, uh, you find somebody who's good at troubleshooting and uh man like like learn as much as you can from them while they're around because 
that is a dying art. Uh, you know, with especially as as aircraft become all more electronic and everything, shoot some of the new corporate jets and, and airlines, they can they can tell you what's wrong with them real time. You know, they'll tell you what to fix and what box to change. But uh, shooting wires and doing uh, old school pressure checks and stuff that's uh, that's a lost art. Right. And um, uh, I, I, I don't know how the best way to word this, but uh, a lot of uh, students or AMT apprentices, if they spend majority of the time in a classroom, they have like this false sense of uh, security in their knowledge, if that makes any sort of sense, uh, gents, or anyone listening, like uh, they get very confident because they got the answer right in a test, but then you put them in, the, in a real life situation, like, it kind of brain dumps like it doesn't um it doesn't connect so have or and that sense of urgency is not there until they have their first um missed uh flight for whatever reason so uh having something where they're in the in the mix building it and then oh by the way let's put you in the seat after it's finished it really drives that point home like hey uh if you don't feel comfortable being in it, then don't feel comf- Then you should not feel comfortable signing it off. If that makes uh, any sort of yeah. sense, I, I might have gone a little bit on a tangent on that, but um, I, I've been seeing that a lot with uh, some of the newer or some of the more seasoned technicians. Is like when they f- uh, roll fresh out of a school or roll fresh out of a training program, they get a little bit too confident in their lack of skill, and they 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 tend to kind of just see things from a horse blinder point of view that, Oh, I'm only focusing on this particular job and this particular job only. And they, they do it just good enough. If that makes any sort of sense. So they, they never have, they never have to have that uh, urgency or have that, um, that security of having to put themselves in the seat. And then. Well, some people get that overconfidence, right? They get the license finally. And that's a big, big feat in and of itself. But, uh, you know, uh, I had an instructor named P school and the day we got our, our licenses and all that, you know, he sat us all down and said, Hey, that doesn't mean, this doesn't mean you're an expert. All this means it's your license to work. There's still lots to be learned, you know? That's so, so the big learning part, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So he's like, you learned enough to get this, to let you go out into the field. Uh, but now, now is where the real learning begins. Yeah, exactly. I'm still learning. I've, I've been doing it for, what, 54 years. And it's like uh, I get a Cirrus in and have to set up deflection angles with templates. And I, it's it, it's totally different than what we used to do with just a, a protractor or, or a digital uh, angle meter. And so I, I'm still learning. Um, if you, if you stop learning, um, you're, you're pretty well on the dead side. Uh, <laughs> there's that, there's that call for you, Mr. MVP again. Yeah. There's, there's my old soccer coach coming into play again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause, because I mean, it, it's just one of those things that, um, if, if you, if you don't learn and that's, that's one of the things about, uh, right off the bat, I, and when I was 14, I was taken to Oshkosh by a local uh, Stitz distributor who was in charge of the booth at Oshkosh. This was 1970, so it was the first year there. And I was down there uh, helping him set up the booth, and Ray Stitz walks in, and 
greets uh, Harold Kohler and um, looks over at me and says, hey, Harold, who's the kid? Because Harold was up in his 60s. The 60s, and he said, well, this is Marty King. He uh, helped uh, recover a, a PA-12 this uh, past year, and he uh, he knows fabric um, very well. And Ray came over and introduced himself, and um, I did likewise. And he said, uh, so you, you've done some fabric work, huh? And I said, yeah. Um I, I have, and he said, come with me, and he took me out to the display tent that they had ar- arranged for them, and EAA had dropped off a bunch of uh, host stabilizers, uh, frames, and elevators, a couple ailerons, two or three wings, and um, formed a cover during the convention, and he said, do you think you could cover one of these for me? I've got a meeting up at headquarters for a couple hours, and um, I'll be back. He said, everything you need are in these boxes. And I looked at him. I said, sure, I, I, I'm sure I can cover one for you. And I picked a, I think it was a horizontal stab for a J3 and, uh, went ahead and got the fabric out and polytech and, uh, went to work. Uh, I had it covered and, um, pretty much ready for, uh, stitching by the time he got back and he looked at it and he goes, uh, you think you could finish that? Uh, with the tapes and stitching and everything. And I said, not a problem. He says, I've got another meeting with the, with the, uh, uh, flight safety people out on the flight for the flight line, uh, about an hour and a half and I'll be back. So I went ahead and stitched it and, uh, put all the finishing tapes on, um, you know, the final coat of second coat of poly brush over the whole thing. And he came in and looked at it and he goes, I want you here at 8 a.m. every morning of the of the show, and I'll let you go at 2 o'clock, and I will buy you lunch, and I'll spell you for potty breaks. And so that, that started a relationship that lasted for oh, six, eight years, where I was the demonst- one of the demonstrators in the, in the Stitz tent, um, showing people here at age 14 how to how to cover and that that uh having and then having him come out and work alongside me and say hey i i can show you how to do that corner better or how how you can pre-cover the aileron bay and uh fare everything in real nice with uh um with with tapes and it uh it was one of those one of those things to where I learned from the the actual maker um, of the product, and that that set me apart from everybody else. And um, the next, uh, let's see, it was two years later when I was sixteen. Art Scholl, uh, the aerobatic pilot um, that most everybody knew, was from California, flew a chipmunk. Um, he had had a pyro canister uh, blow up on his uh, a tail. And it burnt part of the fabric off of the rudder. And he was holding the rudder. Coming, It came in the tent. And Ray ha- just, just happened to be there. And he walked over to Ray and said, hey, Ray, I've got to fly in tomorrow's air show. I don't know what I'm going to do. They can't help me. They can't get it done in time down at the, uh, um, at the emergency uh, repair t- uh, station. He said, um, uh, do you have any anybody that, 
that, that can do this. And he just looked over at me and he said, give it to the kid. And we just happened to have um, white uh, polytone. And if I remember right, it was um, uh, Pontiac red and there was a gold color in there. And we just happened to have all of those colors um, with with him and in the display and in the tent. So I worked all night. I was up and it just happened to be a nice uh, 70, 80 degree uh, year, very little rain, humidity was low. So I was able to do the brush, the spray, the uh, polytone over the top and, and put the stripes back on it. And by noon the next day he came in and that, uh, that rudder was done and he, he just shook his head. He goes, I don't know how you did it. And he reached in it into his pants, pulled out his wallet, handed me $150. And I was making a buck and a quarter minimum wage at that time, uh, working in a music store to, uh, help supplant some of my, uh, interests in, in building and, and flying. And, um, that was the start of King Arrow. I actually started taking in, um, wings, tails, um, couple of them were projects, uh, full fuselage and everything, um, after that. So, you know, as a kid, uh, I, I had an excellent mentor and, he was one of those type of guys that uh, he learned to fly and uh, got his uh, certificate in 1930. And I don't know how many airplanes he rebuilt before World War II. And then he was a military training instructor, instructor for down at Pine Bluff, Arkansas. So the back of my head, after flying with him in the Cub for quite a while, the back of my head has a patch that doesn't grow hair very often anymore where he used to tap me on the head with his right hand and say, your other left foot. Um, you know, it was one, one of those, one of those things, but, um, he was, he was a demanding instructor. I had aerobatic time. Uh, by the time I soloed, I, I had 10 hours of, uh, dual instruction in a Cessna aerobat, uh, doing Cuban eights and loops and rolls, uh, spins. Um, it was it's one of those things that I couldn't have afforded to, to pay for that by working because uh, just monetarily it didn't work out. But by donating my time and doing the 20 for one, um, it it worked out. I, I could I could do it. And, um, you know, if you figure 100 hours at, at 20 hours to one hour of flying time. Um, it kind of gives you an idea of how much time I actually spent out at his, his place. You, you know, and he taught me how to weld. He, I welded, ended up in his old age. He, he designed an airplane called the, um, um, uh, well, it was based on the air up, um, that was designed here in South Bend. That's a big flying wing. It was designed back in the thirties. And he was actually one of the test pilots for, uh, for Doc Snyder, and he designed uh, um, an ultralight version of that, and it was featured in, uh, I think it was the 1987 December issue of, um, of Sport Aviation, 
And I welded all the fuselages for him because by that time his his hands had gotten fairly unsteady. He was in his eighties, and um, uh, so I did uh, did all the all the fuselage parts and welded components for him. And uh, he test flew. He actually had three different models and um, had uh, the last one was all fiberglass shell around a, a steel tube fuselage and he had the molds for, for the fuselage. And unfortunately, nothing's been done with it. It was sold to a gentleman out in uh, Kansas City by the name of Kevin Golden. And he, um, he hasn't, uh, continued on with any of the, any of the, uh, building of kits. Cause that's, that's what he was trying to do. The plane flew excellent. I mean, you talk about, um, an 18 foot wingspan and 11 foot cord and try to land that, uh, the cushion underneath the wings just, it, it came down like a feather. And that's why they called them the Little Birds, um, was the actual name of the airplane. But, uh, yeah, I, it was one of those things that I, I couldn't have afforded um, as a kid um, to buy the education that that, that man gave me. And that's what, uh, when Matt asked me about uh, helping out with um, um, this project, um, it was like, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where if I can teach, if I can teach for the next three or four years, um, anything, uh, to these kids, um, they're going to be so far advanced, uh, from everybody else that's going to wait until after high school to decide whether they want to go to college for aviation mechanics or, or whatever. I mean, these kids could actually, actually get there and pretty much know what the what the first year at least is all going to be about and and how to do it right and and i think that comes brings things full circle especially for the mentorship piece on both y'all side like with having an instructor who actually cares and gives you good gouge to having a mentor who's willing to put the time in to kind of teach you some of the the tips and tricks of how to do things and how to do it more efficiently and that's one of the things that MVP and I have kind of missed out on, so to speak, in our in the early beginnings of our careers, because a lot of the stuff we did, it was kind of like uh, trial by failure kind of a thing. <laughs> like uh, you, you, get it, you, you get it right until you're told it's wrong kind of thing. I had the same issue as, as a pilot standpoint, too, because uh, I mean, growing up where I did, um, I had no one to tell me how to even do this. So like, you know, Okay, I know I know I need a private license, I need an instrument. But then after commercial, like, what do I do now? You know, like, I guess I work towards my ATP, but like you said, it, it's you got to have, you know, fifteen hundred hours. But how do I how do I get to that point? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, no one tells me how to how do I how do I bridge that gap? Is it's obviously not affordable for me to you know just throw keep throwing money at this um, to be able to pay for all that. So how do you do that? You know. Right. And, and, and again, like with the trial by failure, like you, you don't realize it until you've already made the mistake and like, uh, okay, okay, maybe, maybe the next two or three tries, if this happens again, I won't do this again. <laughs> and then, uh, likewise with the, the pathways, uh, issue, right. Uh, I believe, um, I, I believe most would agree. Like, uh, it's the, the, the pathways to get you to where you want to be. That's a, that's a big issue. It's not just people, not that we don't have enthusiastic people. It's, we don't have enthusiastic people to 
take a pipeline to where they want to go. Um, like we, we have people who would love to be pilots. We have people who love to be mechanics, uh, engineers and so forth. But how do we get there? <laughs> um, and then by the time they figured it out, they've long since moved on. Like, well, I can't do this now. It's I'm already X amount of ways in, in this career or I'm X amount of ways in debt or, and so forth. So like it, the, the once, once had dream is less, is more like a passing thought than it is as a goal. So, uh, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm stealing the words from you guys, but I feel like having such a, a program like this, uh, this kind of, this kind of initiative is, um, how do, how do, for lack of a better word, like, uh, watering the plants before they have a chance to experience adversity, you know, like, um, like, uh, we're, I'm just, I should probably rework that. Like we're giving a chance for you to grow and blossom before figuring out that, um, like, uh, what sort of, uh, hiccups that you could have later. Like, um, I guess example is like, we're going to tell you how to get to it. And then you then we can help you kind of figure out how to achieve it versus like, uh, it's, you're already past the point of your, you've already passed the decision point and you're just now learning all this happens. Um, example is like, say like for how to get your AMP license a certain way, like, well, I'm already past that point. The only way now is to just take a school or something like that. Or like you mentioned with the 1500 hours, like that's a huge feat in itself. Like some people, you don't realize like how long of a time that is. Uh, and especially if you commit 100% to it, even if you did commit to hundred percent to it, you're still looking easy. Like, what three five years uh, ish? Uh, if you yeah, if you just, I mean, it depends on how much you can hit tries with people. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It, it's a lot. Yeah, it, it's it a really lot comes money down to how, how much how much you can afford, right? Yeah, how much gas yeah. you can afford in, in, in the in the plane. <laughs> and yeah. and again, that that's not fair to people that just can't afford it necessarily either. So to help them find other options or other pathways to skip having to pay for all that stuff because they can actually, you know, get it other, other ways or showing them other ways that they can make it affordable. I think there's a big uh, thing as well for the younger generation to move forward in aviation. I think some of the issues with the younger generation in aviation, they, they look at it and go, Oh my goodness. And they just see the numbers. It's like, it's how much to do all that. It's, like, it's ridiculous how expensive some of this can be. Um, so they just are, you know, don't even get into it from the get go because they just see that. So if we can give them options to, get around that uh, well, barrier. That's, that's, that's an excellent point, right? So, you, you know, you guys have uh, young kids coming in and you're kind of teaching them up. And if you, they can get uh, a, a jump on everybody else. So by the time they actually go to the school or whatever else, maybe they're already certified so they can start working. So while they're going to school, yeah. but they can also work and get some money and some more experience. And, you know, they're, they're four, two, two to four years ahead of their, their counterparts. Right. So, I think that's a, a big part of it. And you said it earlier, um, you know, getting exposed to it young uh, and, and the mind is so malleable and, and impressionable at that age. And so if there's a, a kid who comes in, who's just interested in it, man, that's the time to really send home what, what, what the aviation uh, be it piloting or, uh, or mechanicing, you know, you can really send it home and sink it in and set that positive foundation in early. Cause uh, I didn't have that. Right. Uh, I, I decided I went to school off of a late night infomercial. Uh, I had graduated <laughs> high school. I was doing a, a apprenticeship at plumbing and electrical place. And uh, my dad was hounding me. Where are you going to school? Where are you going to school? All your friends have already decided what college you're going to go to. And at the time I was like, I don't know if I want to go to you know school or whatever. I kind of haven't 
haven't figured that part out. Um, and, and nobody was really guiding me. And it was one of those make a decision. And I just happened to be up late one night and saw an infomercial for an A&P school. And I said, well, I like planes. And I woke up the next morning, told, told uh, my dad he drove me over to the building and I signed up. <laughs> and that's how I got into aviation, you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what's, what's great about a program like this, though, too, is um, so, and everybody's got their own thing, right? So, like, some people might be going in like, oh, because they just saw Maverick, you know, the new Top Gun movie. Like, this is amazing. I want to be a pilot. This is going to be great. I'm going to, you know, fly around like crazy. And they get there and they realize, eh. I'm not really into flying because I've, I've had I've taken people up and they're just like, this isn't what I was expecting, but they might get in there and go, well, maybe not the piloting part, but I really like building this stuff or I like working with my hands on this stuff. And now we, they were able to test it out before, you know, really diving into the college or whatever they might need to, um, for this. Like, yeah, experiment, which, which path they want, you know, or if they want both, whatever. So they can, yeah. they can kind of see which way they want to go. Yep. And that was kind of me. I was like, I like engines. I like jet yeah. engines. Those, those are loud and go fast. <laughs> Can make yeah. things go fast, you know. <laughs> yeah, we all like to go fast if you're in aviation, usually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, um, for the program itself, I know it's still um, developing, and you guys have a start have plans to execute and have that rolling. Um, uh, how big of the first class, say, um, are you guys thinking of having? So, so the the big plan is um, I'm shooting for about thirty kids. Um, for the first class, uh, and that'd be the first airplane. So the idea is, uh, we'll take about a year. Well, I'm talking to these other groups that have done it. it. It'll take about a year, a year and a half, probably to build this thing with 30 kids. Uh, you split those 30 kids up, uh, into two groups, so 15 a piece. Um, mostly because you can't have 30 kids looking over the, you know, one spot of the airplane. Um, it's better to have smaller groups and then inside those groups, you can split them up even more. Um, but that split those groups up the 15, 15. Um, so they might be like on Tuesday and Thursdays and we do every other weekend um with them so that way they can still be kids and still have other afternoon commitments but still uh, have enough time to be able to do all this as well um after they get through with the one uh get that plane built those 30 kids for every 10 hours uh that they uh, put into it they'll be able to get an hour of flight time when that plane's built they'll be kind of uh, moving along with that uh section part of it and we'll bring in 30 more kids and we'll plan trying to do a second plane um, and then if we can get enough funding for the first two airplanes, um, this should be fairly perpetual, uh, because the idea from there then is once the second plane is done and that gets pushed out to being the flying airplane, you take the first airplane and you sell it, uh, to pay for the, uh, third airplane. And, uh, you should be able to sell it enough to be able to pay for the third airplane plus a little extra for the expenses and stuff, um, moving forward. So then it should be able to be perpetual because then ever, whenever the plane's done flying, you sell it and pay for the next kit, just keep on going from there. Okay. Gotcha. Um, now, are you guys, are you guys doing uh, kits only, or are you going to find uh, maybe a bird that's um, a little a little worn out, and you have to ferry it home, and then there you you bring it back to uh, zero time? There has been quite a bit of discussion with that sort of stuff. Um, I wanted to start with the kits initially, and then from there we have talked about branching out to doing uh, finding a uh, hair queen and trying to get that up and right. So, what the, the idea behind that would be? Let's get a kid through the kits. They get done with the kids and they can keep on building. Um, I have no problem that we can get the funding stuff for it to find ourselves a hangar queen, bring that in, and let those guys come in more of like the advanced class or something, work on that hangar queen um, to, um, or uh, farm find to actually, you know, get up and flying uh, while the next group starts the next kit. Um, uh, we were, we've talked about that and we are interested in, in doing something similar like that. But uh, my, my problem with trying to start off with just uh barn find um is we don't know what we'd be getting ourselves into. Um, 
Anyway, you, you get into that and all of a sudden it's in terms of the money pit, we lose interest in the kids or something. So uh, oh. I want to make sure that those kids really want to learn about it. That's great. I'll be more than happy to show them that. But first, get spark their interest with these kids and then move them into something more advanced like that maybe. Yeah, I can, I can attest to the money pit. So I worked for a place in uh, West Virginia and um, we worked uh, private jets. We, that was our thing. We did AOG maintenance on uh, corporate aircraft traveled all around for those but the owner uh found this old barn find in uh bangor maine and to, it was, had been sitting for years uh corrosion was pretty bad they got a one-time ferry permit brought it down to where our hangar was in west virginia and we had to gut that thing to the frame i mean all the way down to bare metal had to strip it uh do a bunch of uh mods that hadn't been done since the uh since maybe the early eighties that were needed for that. It was a Piper Cherokee six is what it was. And so, you know, we spent a lot, a lot of time and money and efforts, uh, hours, uh, getting that air airframe up to snuff. And we'd put a glass cockpit in it as well. (laughs) Um, and, and it got to the point where I think the owner ran out of money and had to sell it for the current stage it was at. Uh, I think it had to be put on a truck and taken away because it, it wasn't still airworthy at the time. But yeah, we put, man, my God, we put a lot of time and effort into that. So I, I, that's where I was going with that on the, on the old money pit situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a lot of like lessons to learn uh, pulling the stuff out like that and uh, rebuilding it like that. Um, again, though, it's, you have to worry about, we are a nonprofit. Uh, we're playing with other people's money. So we sure. got to be a little conscious of that. Um, I want to make sure that if we do get something that we, it's something we can eventually succeed with. Um, but with the kits, it's a little more controlled. Uh, we know that, you know, about time frames about what we can do with that. We know our costs for the most part with that. Um, there's always, you know, extra things we might not expect, but they're, they're pretty well defined with the kits. Um, but absolutely. I think the, I think the, a barn find, I think it'd be a, a lot of fun for the, the kids, um, after they've done a kit, um, if they want to continue on with stuff like that. I agree, especially like with uh, on the still on the subject on barn finding, like uh, it's it's once in the it's the same joy you kind of see when you restore something like, wow, this looks really beat up. This thing will never live again. And then uh, however many uh, years and hours you invest in it and you actually see it freshly painted, ready to roll off the line and you see it like do its first loop or its first lap like yeah that was us like you get that sense of pride in it and you actually brought the beast back kind of thing um but again i i totally understand what you're saying especially with the kits because at least it's more predictable and for the most part the the materials are have a defined condition versus like uh peeling back the onion and discovering the whole thing rotted to the core kind of thing (laughs) you you peel back the onion this is an onion. It's a hand grenade. Oh, <laughs> terrible. This is terrible. <laughs> uh, uh, when, uh, so like uh, upon building hours, is there going to be some coordination with like any local schools or local uh, education programs where they ha- get some classroom time too? Cause uh, um, so, Oh, go ahead. Uh, Cause like I was saying, like, I think some, uh, uh, licenses or some uh, certificates they require x amount of classroom time to go with the hands-on if i'm not if i'm not mistaken um there are a couple schools uh we we're looking at talking to um i actually just talked to um 
somebody from Elkhart uh, schools. And then as well as uh, there, Marty was talking to somebody from Marion school saying they might be somebody interested as well. So there is an option there. Um, I think it'd be good to tie it in if we can to like a, a classroom, like you mentioned, um, like it'd be a you know, elective or a technical part of it um, uh, or a part of the career center or something. Um, so, so I think it's in the classroom work as well, but uh, that, that's an option. We haven't fully, um, went after that quite yet because we're still trying just to get everything up and running but uh that's it's something we want we like to do is work with some of the local schools marion actually has a private pilots course for their uh juniors and seniors uh it's a two-year course and um uh, so there they actually came over went through the airport came over to my shop um, I also do restoration work. I've got a 1940 J4 uh, Cub Coupe in the shop. Um, and I've also just taken in a 46 J3 metal spar. And uh, both are, um, uh, the J4 is, is an, uh, undergoing a lot of restoration work. Um, it was uh, um, not in very good shape when it came in. The J3 was better, but Somebody had found a wing out probably in a barn someplace that had a lot of corrosion in it, covered it over with uh, primer and stuck it together and put fabric on it. And um, the guy's been flying it since uh, the early 90s and didn't really know what was in it. And then uh, we opened it up and it was like, oh, my gosh, uh, this, this is not good. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of those things that uh, he thought he had a had a great airplane, and the airplane was really um, um, he, he had gutter gutter aluminum on the leading edge, and just uh, all kinds of stuff. It was not, uh, not that was that old onion hand grenade we just talked about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. like what is this? How how is this even flying right now? <laughs> yeah, so with uh, with doing the restoration work, I take in two projects a year. And uh, um, I'm booked out until 2027 right now. Wow. And to have. Yeah, and I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm, I've got. I just got a call from Joliet Air Center. Uh, they have a, a albatross of all things up there that has, that has a broken rudder spar uh, from flopping in the wind all winter, and uh, that uh, that rudder is 16 foot tall. And it it's the size of a wing, <laughs> and yeah. I, they want to do want me to do a spar repair. And going back through the the actual manuals, um, it's hard to know what to use because they're calling out for three hundred one um, tempered aluminum, and then uh, heat treated after bending. And um, the three hundred one hasn't been around for. 50 years. Uh, I mean, you, and so to, so to find a, a duplicate in today's uh, materials that satisfactory sometimes can be challenging. Um, but um, uh, it, the work never stops. And that's one thing about, uh, I was telling Matt is there, there are vertical markets uh, such as aircraft restoration where people uh, sometimes will invest uh, two or three times the amount of money that the aircraft is actually worth to have an airplane that they can fly for the next 30 or 40 years um, that 
is uh, not necessarily an Oshkosh winner, uh, could be, um, but um, uh, is is totally safe and one that's going to last them with with very few uh, repairs. And that's the type of thing that I need to get through to the students is um, is the use of tools. Yes. Uh, now, like I said, we don't have industrial arts in the in the middle schools, and a lot of kids are are kind of paired off to go the college route. So they take AP courses and uh, they load their schedules down with with uh, courses at the high school, and so they don't they don't even touch it touch a um, a screwdriver or a hammer and. I tell you, if if you ask any of these kids nowadays how to wire a three-way switch, uh, and that's something that we had to do in in electro- electrical, because you had your choice of wood shop, metal shop, uh, you could take plastics, you could take electric, you could take drafting, there was home ec, um, and you had to have four semesters made up out of all those choices. And I, I did the drafting thing, um, metal shop, wood shop, and electrical, and learned how to wire a three-way switch and uh, right there, and how to change a, how to change a uh, electrical reset, you know, wire a box. Uh, those are things that, that kids have no idea, you know, even when they're grown, they have to hire an electrician to come out and take care of it. Yep. Uh, the drafting one, the drafting one, I definitely relate to because I, I remember when they just removed drafting and I, I remember the pains, a lot of individuals who went through it or have been through it before just recollect you guys are so, uh, f- I, don't, I don't know if it was lucky is the word, but they're saying like, you don't understand the pain that went into drafting, like having uh, log books upon log books, that's just meant for you to write a single letter X amount of times. So you get it perfect and consistent every single time. I believe MVP, you had something similar to that when you did your writing, maybe not in the same sense as a drafting class, but probably like in your personal upbringing, but like it, it can get old really fast uh, as far as oh, yeah. like have, having to repeat something over and over and over and over. But my, my it, mom used to make copies of my homework and then uh, at her job, and then uh, if I when I did my homework, if the handwriting wasn't neat enough, she would shred it and make me start over. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> so learn, so like uh, quick to write better. <laughs> right. So so yeah. like in that sense, right? Having that hands on, having the knowledge of the stuff that you're actually going to be uh, putting the work on. That's huge. And especially nowadays when a lot of the stuff is simulated where like they just show you a video or it's kind of like a, a uh, computer uh, generated image and, and it's, you can interact with it. Cool. But like uh, when the action is just clicking a button or, or pressing a key, it doesn't give you the same effect as like, like actually pushing a real button or having that kickback when something just doesn't want to do what you tell it to. <laughs> and um so like as far as the organization itself i know this is uh it's it's in the beginning stage and it's very much in the planning uh is there any way like say the general public can help contribute to the organization like uh, um is there any avenues for that donation uh yeah absolutely um we have a um donation site there uh actually if you go to our uh link tree page it's just the link uh uh, te.ee then forward slash stay Indiana. Um, our link free site, uh, has, uh, on there a donation 
uh, link. You can click on that to donate there. Um, if you're in the local area, uh, we're always looking for volunteers as well. So um, there's a volunteer sign up there as well, or uh, people just wanting updates and stuff. Um, but it's also a good place to um, get on with our social media as well. We have Facebook and Instagram um and uh youtube and if i can figure out how to work tiktok i found a younger guy to help me out with that that's gonna be my next question is uh, the social media side of things i mean social media is everything as much as maybe yeah. we don't want it to be but also youtube is a fantastic source right you were talking earlier about uh you know kids don't have a cho- chance to learn all these kind of stuff now i i was fortunate enough that uh, i learned a lot of the hands-on and tools and stuff from my dad grandfather and all that we grew up on a farm we're always fixing stuff um but like my school couldn't afford those shop classes and so even in my adult life now being around the house like man i've never i've never done this before in here let me see what youtube has and there's tons of videos you guys uh have you guys considered like filming your own videos and how to's and uh yep so we actually have a computer guy ish it's a guy that uh, does a computer program type stuff but he actually likes airplanes he's on part of our board um he wanted to do uh the reason he wanted the youtube channel uh it's kind of something what you're talking about there was to actually film us doing the build um and have like live streams and stuff of the build and and then also just doing um filming of uh how to you know do this stuff too so for the future so like the first round might be a little rough but then you know in the future so like the next class looking back you can go oh hey this is what we're, we're gonna be working on you know whatever how to do pull rivets and stuff for the the rudder um you know how they would do that and so we'd have you know a video on that so they can go back to if they want to from the previous class is uh nice. working on it so they can kind of see it before they even you know start doing it themselves um uh, so yeah. that was that was an idea we we're planning doing and, and i know this isn't always the goal when we do these social medias and these videos but enough traction behind them um, could be an additional source of revenue for your programs too, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's gets your name out there for sure. Yeah. That's, it's kind of a, um, I mean, it's social media is good and bad. The, the good part, like you said, it does get your name out there because um, it, it's a great way to be exposed to a lot of people you know, all at one time. Um, they can, it helps them find you. Um, and so that just does like help this conversation we're having now, right through the social media. Hey. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You guys found us through Instagram. Right? Um, so I mean, it worked out good with that. So it's a way to get that out there. Um, and not to mention it also helps get the spark the interest of the kids too. Um, uh, I, I, we put out a handful of them out there and, uh, even the little few handful of Instagram, um, and Facebook posts we've been able to do, it gets a lot of the kids' attention because they can see, you know, just some fun, whatever, uh, pictures of, of uh, planes and flying and stuff. Um, but it sparks their interest a little bit. And that's that's how they, a lot of the kids communicate, to be honest, nowadays. So we have, yes. to, be able to, yeah, have to be able to communicate with them. So Factual. Yep. I was, one thing I always liked when I was in school was the, uh, so I was talking about engines earlier. I, I like the, I like the engine side of things. Um, and we had this engine stand and you would tear down this old, I think these are old Lycoming five somethings, five, five forties. Probably. Yep. Yep. So we would tear down those, uh, you know, mic everything out. Everything was out of tolerance, uh, out of tolerance. Uh, but that's why those engines were donated to the school. Uh, but you can put them back together well enough, uh, do all your practice write-ups in the engine logbook, and then we mount them on the engine run stand and uh, and take them outside, you know, and, and run the guts out of them, which was fun. 
Uh, we did have an old radio engine stand, so I think radio engines are, are just the coolest thing. Well, they sound uh, cool. <laughs> yeah, they sound awesome. And do you guys do you guys uh, have have something like that as well? You know that you're uh, implementing just out of my own curiosity. Uh, just for the engine standpoint, uh, uh, being able to work on beat up engines. Is that what you're talking about? Or yeah, yeah, or or just yeah, and an engine put it on there, uh, run it through uh, the not, spaces. Yeah, we don't have anything like that as of yet. Again, um, I mean, there, I think there's a lot of possibilities uh, with this, and they can branch out quite a bit to different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it, it all depends on funding, of course. But uh, if we can get donations and stuff like that, I, we are more than happy. It's going to be a, it's a teaching area for mentoring, you know, after school things. So anything that can, we can bring in to help teach or mentor them better, or, um, or show them show the teens um, more things is you know amazing it would be super helpful um but uh so yeah i mean it's definitely a possibility uh we haven't talked about that specific um uh, but it's definitely an option uh so uh, as far as like uh people in the area like how they go about finding you guys uh, like uh, is there like uh like so uh, we've been going to uh we just actually had an elkhart air show so we were at the elkhart air show um, then believe it or not, uh, this weekend we have a young Eagles flight. Um, I'm actually flying on young Eagles, but we'll have a, a little booth there too. Um, but, uh, and then, uh, South Bend aviation day will be there. So we're going to all the aviation events in local area, but as well, um, we're going to be, uh, getting, we're trying to get into the schools if we can, uh, to help get people that way as well. Um, and then also we're trying to work out ourselves into the community, um, being visible in the local events. Um, and then. We do have a website as well, I should probably mention that, which is stayindiana.org. Um, it's a, that's a work in progress still, but the main page is, is, is up. So like I said, be, be patient. We are, we are new, so we're trying to get through those paces, <laughs> getting through all the, uh, the organization part of it. Um, but um, I mean, yeah, I mean, just like we, we, we definitely could feel the bains of having to start something from scratch. And, but the fact is that you guys are doing it and that's probably like the, the biggest step of it all is like, uh, uh, not talking down on a lot of people, but a lot of people say something, but not a whole lot do it. If that makes any sort of sense. So like, yeah, they, they, they just need that spark to get, to get it going. Cause everybody's like, thinks it's a good idea, but they need to actually, you know, take that first step forward, start moving forward with it and just, just keep moving forward. Cause there's about a thousand hurdles to get through as you're probably well aware when you try to start something new, so right? It's trying to get over each one of those hurdles one after another. And it's like, you can look at all of them and be overwhelmed and just give up, or you can just kind of approach the first one, you know, deal with it and get over that one and, you know, go to the next one, keep moving forward. Um, that's kind of what we're, we're doing. We're in the process right now. <laughs> right. And then, then that success is cumulative too. Right. So like, like, uh, once you pass, like, all right, we feel, per- I feel freaking good. This was a big hurdle. We got through it. So let's bring on the next one. And then another mm-hmm. one goes down another one goes down. Like, you know, we're trucking along. Hey, we're, we're, yeah. we're moving on up. And then, uh, uh, next, next thing you know, like, and I think this is going to be the same feel for the students is like, oh, this looks like an impossible thing. And then as things progress and as things accumulate and, or, or come together, like, oh, wow, that wasn't so bad at all. Like, wow, we actually got pretty far. It's starting to look pretty good. Right. And then, um, yeah, you, yeah. you kind of started getting a sense of pride in, in the end result. Right. And then, uh, once something does push through that you look back at it, like, wow, I can't believe we, we had such, we made this into such a headache than what it really was. And then, Mm-hmm. Um, for, uh, and then in the end result, uh, at least for what we're all here trying to do is trying to give someone that opportunity and, and then, uh, afford them the, the pipeline to make things happen. Right. And 
not yeah. just not just give you a, a way in, but also like enable you into a way where like you're in this you're in a sense ahead of the game, or you've you've already been told uh, some of the the hurdles, so you're preparing for it more than just going into it cold and figuring it out for yourself as you as it happens. So absolutely, we're, yeah, we're trying to set them up for success, not set them up just like oh hey this is it and then good luck. It's yes. you know sets you up and then like here's the pathway here we're here to help you to you know, move into that pathway. Uh, and set you up for success, so that way you do stay in you know the, the career field right. um, if or, possible. Right, or at least like your your best enable to right versus like how yeah. all of us have started. Like it was like either right place, right time, or the wrong person showed me, and it took a little bit to figure out that I, you were past uh, bad gouge, and then finally chasing uh, your goal like well after uh, sometime later. I'm like, well, then oh, this yeah. if instead of playing that what if question, like, well, if this had happened, then I would have. Uh, XYZ from that point. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of bad advice out there. <laughs> so yes. it's nice to have a group of people, you know, so at least, you know, there's some good advice amongst the group of people. So if we can help weed out some of that bad advice because there's so much bad advice that gets passed on to um, anybody in aviation. Um, and it'd be nice to, um, and it, 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 it's disheartening to watch because, you know, they get some bad advice with them. They just kind of like, well, I guess, you know, that's the one person I really know. I just kind of, you know, give up and move on to do something else. Um, right. and that's what they really wanted to do. Um, so it's, it's helpful to have somebody there, you know, to help step in like, Oh, you know, maybe, uh, look at it this way or something or take a different path. Um, but it's still an option for you to continue right. on. And, and then having like individuals like yourself and Marty, especially like with Marty's experience, uh, having over 50 plus years, like you're learning from one of the ones who have pretty much seen the evolution from like the days of cloth. Now it's all like electronic, um, like see-through hologram skin and stuff like that <laughs> and <laughs> seeing all seeing that whole evolution happen and watch it all play out on, on and you, you're kind of getting a piece of history really like um the the these individuals have seen the uh the evolution from us from a turning point and now you're you're catching it from uh from all this versus just kind of learning from the from ground or from point zero from whatever that that turnaround point was and just kind of understanding that this is all you know, like if all you know is digital and, and how to, and just having the airplane tell you what's wrong versus like having to sit there and, and fine tune yourself and attune with the aircraft or attune with uh, what the issue is and figuring it out from there. It, it's such a huge di uh, experience difference and being able to have that afforded to them is for lack of better words, monumental. <laughs> So yeah. I appreciate you gentlemen with, with the efforts you're trying to do. And especially like you mentioned before earlier, like have sooner or later, we're going to have a gap in professional experience and it's better to kind of build that up now, get, give that interest now versus like when that shortage happens to all of a sudden just lower the bar. And like, if you have a pulse and can breathe air, yeah. then come on through, you know? Yeah. We don't want that though either. <laughs> because that's when you start having accidents and incidents happening. So it's yes. better to have them well experienced, like you said. Yes. Uh, and Mr. MVP, do you have anything uh, else you'd like to ask? Uh, it was just nice that you mentioned, you know, uh, you see a lot of people get bad advice um, or guidance in, in this field. Uh, and it's nice to see that there's a few of us out there now making strides to change that narrative and to try to put people on the right path. Um, because I can tell you, you know, I think we've all experienced it probably at some point in our career so far as we've all been given bad guides. And at one point we went, is this, uh, is this really, is this really all there is to offer from this? 
And then there's that one thing that brings you back. And you're like, nope, I, I do like this. That's, that's why I got into it. But it's nice to see there's a group of people uh, slowly but surely changing the narrative and, and pushing out those those positives about the industry. So uh, thank you guys for that. Well, thanks for having us on, too. We appreciate it. It's helps like, our name out and stuff as well. So, uh, uh, well, once again, gentlemen, uh, uh, we can find you on the Facebook and Instagram at Stay Aviation, and the website itself was stayindiana.org. Is that correct? Yep, it's stayindiana.org um, is the, is the uh, website. Awesome. And then we have a link tree as well, uh, which is forward slash Stay Indiana. Sounds good. Uh, gentlemen, you have any final words for all the masses listening out there? So if you're interested in aviation, definitely pursue it and don't listen to all the uh, naysayers. Absolutely. No. And, and if, if you're a young kid, don't, um, don't shy away from um, coming out to the airport and talking to your local mechanics. Cause in GA aviation, I've, I've met very few mechanics that, that won't talk to a young person about, uh, um, what what programs are available, or how to get get into aviation? Um, how to do um, mechanics work? How to learn how to do it? Um, and direct them to um, a program like uh, the stayindiana.org um, is an excellent one. Eighty eight Charles is the is the one that's up in uh, Wisconsin. They're on their fifth airplane. Uh, they've had over fifteen thousand hours that have been contributed by their students um, over the, uh, since 2012, the program's been in, in place. So, um, you know, they're, they're doing a fantastic job up there. Um, we, we hope to do uh, equally as well. Uh, we've got plenty of, plenty of young, I, I talked to a Boy Scout troop uh, at the air show and all the kids were, were between 12 and 17 and were interested in aviation, not just to get a badge, but um, uh, they wanted to know more about, you know, how do I learn how to fly? How do I learn how to how to be a mechanic? And that's that's uh, the type of interest that uh, that we're generating, and it's something that's sorely needed in our our industry. Most definitely. And let us know, uh, you out there, what you guys think. Like, uh, is there any programs out there that you that's similar to what Stay Indiana is doing? Let us know in the comments. Uh, shout it out. We can pass that along, too, because maybe you're not in Indiana or in somewhere that uh, that seems too remote to have something aviation. Maybe there is. And that's more information passed forward. And that can help you find that spark and ignite it and kindle it and just uh, keep that fire going. So maybe, and you can pass on and have similar experiences to like what uh, Stay Indiana is doing. Let us know in the comments in our social medias and our email, our website, whichever is the easiest way for you to get a hold of us, us and Stay Indiana to pass this information along. Or if you want to participate in one yourself or learn how they're doing it so you can make one for the area and you're in uh, the the dreams are endless the possibilities endless all it really takes is that one single spark and pos and maybe even that one mentor to help push that along to help you find what you're looking for on that note uh gentlemen thank you once again for joining us on the show and everyone thank you all for listening and we'll catch you on the next one <laughs> goodbye everybody bye everyone thanks everybody. thank you for having us
We would like to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to make episodes, maintain our gear, and create merch for all of our listeners. With special thanks to Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Eric Shaw, Dan Schubert, Ryan Frushauer, Kyle Keir, Mike Sherwood, Caleb Stockhill, and Jennifer Brofer. Thank you all so much for your support and patronage. If you like our show, please support us on Patreon. You'll receive awesome perks like access to our private Discord, discounts and early access to our merch, first glimpse of our comics and other projects, and so much more. You can further support us and show off your prowess as an aircraft specialist by visiting our shop at cancelformaintenance.com. If you like classy or rugged watches, visit our affiliate Rockwell Time at rockwelltime.com. Use the code CX, the number 4MX, to save 10% off your total order. If you have suggestions for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, send us a line on our contact us section at cancelformaintenance.com and we'll do what we can to get both your ideas and yourself on the show. Please support us on social media like Facebook at Cancel for Maintenance, Instagram at C-A-N-X for Maintenance Podcast, or Twitter at C-X-M-X Podcast. Please check out our new comic series on the Tapas app. Like, share, subscribe, and comment on our comics. Let us know what you think. Thank you all so much for your support and listenership, and we will catch you all next time.